Welcome back to another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. We're here with Matthew. Matthew, a heartbreaking loss for the Heat. So, unfortunately, we're here to break down the offseason, not a finals preview for the Heat, but it's good to have you on nonetheless. Yep, thanks for having me on again. <laughs> the, the short intro spoils the disappointment that we both have. And I think my first question to you is obviously the Celtics Heat series will have an interesting legacy to it because on the one hand, it was a very weird series with some games were blowouts, some games were close wins. Game seven was an all-timer for sure. But on the other hand, you had two very evenly matched teams. What's your big takeaway leaving that series with Miami losing and Boston heading to the finals instead of us? I just think if some things had swung differently, you might see a different team in the finals right now. So the issue with the Heat turned out to be not what we expected. If you told me two months ago that we wouldn't have a superstar problem, we would have a supporting cast problem, I would have been like, that doesn't make much sense. We were, we were this whole time wondering if we had the top five guy necessary to take us to the playoffs. And then I don't think we still have the top five guy, even though that was probably a top five performance in the playoffs among all the players who were there. But I think that theory kind of isn't true for this season. I don't think you need a top five guy to win the finals. I think if the Celtics win, they did it without a top five guy. I just believe that this year we had the right guy in Jimmy Butler to take us all the way there. And some guys just didn't perform in similar ways to the regular season. That's why they're not headed to the finals. And it's instead the Celtics. The craziest thing too, is I remember before the playoffs started, we said, the biggest argument is like, what Jimmy Butler are we getting? Are we getting the 2020 bubble Butler top five to seven guy? Or are we getting the Bucks series from last year where he looked awful? This season proved that it was not an outlier. He's a playoff performer. I actually did a segment like in a, a previous episode with like the guy went like, tell me when to stop when I rank all the NBA players and kind of where Butler fits. And he had like Embiid, Giannis, or he had like Giannis, Jokic, LeBron, Durant. But then when he got to like that eight, nine number, I had Tatum, Butler, and Embiid kind of all in that mix there. Butler stepped up his game this season. And ironically, we thought Miami's depth and their kind of like versatility would be their keys. And instead you had some iffy Max Drews performances. Hero was on and off the lineup and really wasn't a fish in the playoffs. Lowry's the big holy crap as he washed up kind of moment from this playoffs. Like it, the supporting cast was awful this series. It definitely was. You know, you could go down into each of their stats, but honestly, I feel like the biggest thing with the supporting cast, they just decided to start missing a lot of threes. The Miami Heat, who were the best three-point shooting team in the regular season at like 39%, dropped to 31, making them like 13th out of 16th in the playoffs, like some atrocious number. People like Kyle Lowry were shooting like 24%. The only guy who was really on it in the Eastern Conference Finals was PJ. And then guys like Max Struess and Duncan Robinson were shooting like the same percentage as Jimmy Butler, which is sort of an uh-oh moment. So honestly, the three-point percentage really did us in. If you look at game seven, they were six for 30. And if, if you want to say it was the Celtics defense, I'll counter with this has been a problem since round two. We saw in games three, four, and five and six with like one exception in there against the Sixers. They were not shooting well from the three-point line. Tyler Hero took a dip as well. And that's honestly the difference. I mean, they lost by four in game seven, and it was the three-point shooting that could have put them over the top. Well, and the other thing, too, with the three-point shooting, ironically, was like 
in Atlanta, in the Atlanta series, it didn't really manifest itself, but I, we had concerns after Atlanta previewing the Philly series of is Miami's offense handicapped because outside of Butler, there was really no creation on this team whatsoever. Like Oladipo ironically was the one shining star in that Boston series, especially in game seven and game six, but there was a real lack of any sort of offensive firepower on this team outside of kind of like two and a half guys, depending on what you got from a PJ Tucker game, uh, um, Max Struess had one, I think one or two good games in the conference finals and then kind of sucked from there on out. So, I mean, it, was there any other problems with that Miami series? Or Because I, I think there is a world in which if Lowry even was like 70% healthy, we would have won. But then I looked to game one where Marcus Smart and Al Horford are out. Rob Williams was out almost the entire series and looked horrible in game seven. Like there were injuries on both sides. So it is kind of hard to decide, like if everyone was healthy, what would the series ended up being with Boston or Miami? I feel like everyone was probably equally banged up. I'm trying to stop myself from being biased and saying the Heat were more banged up. I mean, it all depends on what you think. You know, the Celtics were missing Rob Williams a lot, Marcus Smart a lot, and then the Heat, the big guys going in and out were Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. And I think those are two really big guys as well, but the Boston might feel differently. Um, honestly, it's hard to say. I wouldn't really attribute this series to injuries or anything like that especially in the case of Kyle, where like you probably should have known what you were getting when you made this contract, the history, you love going into the history of like the small point guards and whatever, when they get old, they're not exactly the most durable players in the league. I mean, look at Chris Paul, even he's like injured a lot of the time, even though he's the point God and everything. So when you get into that sort of contract, you kind of have to know what you're getting. Well, you mentioned the history of it. And I mean, John Stockton and to an extent Chris Paul are the only two exceptions of the tiny point guards that age into their late thirties and still were good. But even then, like John Stockton became like more of like, like he was still second best player on Utah, but he was definitely like a way low usage player. And Carl Malone was still at the apex of his powers and Chris Paul. I mean, he's what the second option in Phoenix right now and probably more like 2.5 because they don't want to tax him a lot. The Lowry extension heading into next season is critical because He's going to be being paid a lot of money, and I don't know if he can, A, play well in the regular season or at least with a lot of games, and then, B, is he healthy enough for the playoffs? And underratedly, Lowry was kind of bad across the board this season for the Heat. Like, they had a good record, but he slipped defensively, especially a, a strong suit for him. The three-pointer looked awful, and I think he's losing that creation ability. And we've said this all year with Miami. It goes back to this argument where what's the piece next to Jimmy Butler? Because I don't think we can – have Jimmy Butler as the number one guy without another number one-ish guy next to him, or at least like a, a defined 2A. And that leads to my next question. What's the deal with Bam at a bio? Because you mentioned this with the X Factor. Bam was the guy. Like, if Bam needed to step up, play like 2020, he had one good game in the series when Rob Williams didn't play. And when Rob Williams and Al Horford were fully healthy, he sucked the whole series. Yeah, you know, before getting into Bam, I just need to ask you one question. And you know, we paid Lowry like $26 million a year. Do you think we get this far with a one seed if you have Dragic on a significantly lower contract than Kyle Lowry? That, that's a tough argument because if, if you're talking like what's more value, I think having Lowry, I think having Dragic at his number compared to Lowry would have been better. But you have to remember that Dragic sucked up. Dragic had tons of rest and then got bought out. He never played for Toronto. He played, I either didn't play or he played like a handful of minutes. 
So when he went to Brooklyn, he was like in the perfect well-rested form. Lowry went from, I guess like he, he didn't play the last half of the season, but he went from playing actual like starter minutes to then just aging. I, I feel like the one pro I think, I think Drogic would have helped offensively. I'm not going to lie. I think he would have been a, a better, he was more of a pick and roll threat. If you had him, he would have been a better creator. But at the time though, we thought Lowry would be good because he was good to start the year. Like remember, like we were praising him for when Bam was out in the beginning, it was just Jimmy and Kyle. And then it was just Kyle and Bam for a minute. Miami was still good because of him. So it's kind of like the argument that I would throw back at you. Would Miami have been good this season in terms of seeding and their ability to have home court if they had Drogic for the regular season instead of Lowry? Because I think Lowry would have been better despite the contract. Yeah, I mean, I have a similar opinion. I was just asking. I felt like Dragic would have been better for this series in particular. You know, Mr. led us in the postseason in points per game last year in that atrocious Buck series. But I'm not sure we would have gotten the one seed if we didn't have Kyle. So, like, I'm not entirely sure. I just wanted to throw it out there. But anyway, we can get well, into well, and, to, and to be fair for both sides, Lowry is not the best playoff performer, but he had a great series both in 2020 against the Celtics and in 2019 against the Warriors. But Drogic also had a good series against the Celtics in the bubble. So it's like they both had their moments against the Celtics teams, and even if it was a different iteration. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anyway, you know, we can get into BAM now. Um, people are losing faith, and I don't – I'm not there yet. I'm not losing faith in BAM. He's, his averages all dropped across the board. He shot less field goal attempts and scored less. He looked afraid out there a lot. Um, perhaps the presence of Robin Williams and even Al Horford scared him a few times. You know, when he was at home, sometimes he'd get the ball and then the crowd would just start cheering because it would be him faced up with that one Celtics player and they all wanted him to go at him. And honestly, like, he underperformed this playoffs, but I still believe in him. I'm not exactly happy about how much money he makes in reference to guys like Jason Tatum, who are arguably like much more, not arguably, but like definitely much more valuable at the same number contract wise. But I'll say that like, we see flashes, especially in like game seven, he had a pretty good game. And honestly, if you show flashes at 25 years old, that's enough for me to want to hold on to you. It's not like he's James Harden showing one flash in game three and everyone's like, oh my God, here we go. James Harden, the superstar. You know, if a guy's showing flashes at 33, I don't really care that much because they don't have much left in their career. But Bam has a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to improve. He's super valuable on the defensive end. And for people who are screaming to trade him because he doesn't have it in him, I just don't agree with that at all. I think that he's a valuable person on this team and he just presents so much to you on the defensive end in terms of guarding every position available that I think you absolutely need him going forward with this team. Well, the other thing too with Bam out of bio that I noticed at least was that the lack of aggression on offense was pretty bad. But another critical thing was – is, is the contract like it's kind of like like a good debate I have for you and a good question is like Miles Turner like I think Bama DeBio is better than Miles Turner but would you rather pay Bama DeBio 30 million or Miles Turner his like 15 million I mean the thing is it's an investment with Bam you know he's he's a young guy you were projecting when you made that contract that he was going to be something really really good in the future and I'm still holding on to that projection you know if he could just perform the way he did in the regular season in the playoffs, we'd be doing a lot better off. It's just that 
he didn't show the same aggression I'd, I would have hoped to see. So honestly, I, f- I feel like he'll, he'll keep working on it. He seemed like there was a fire under him after he lost. You saw him like rip his jersey off. You know, he cares a lot about this stuff. It's not like he just doesn't care like certain other superstars. So I definitely think that Bam, even though the contract's really high right now, I'm not as worried about it as like, say, a guy like Kyle, who's really old and he's getting the same kind of money right now. At uh, one of my podcast guests brought an interesting proposal to the table, which was if Philadelphia offered uh, Bam and Abayo and Tyler Hero for Jimmy uh, for uh, Joel Embiid, would you take the trade? Oh my God, I'm always I'm I'm scared of saying the trade stuff. I would not. I I don't think Embiid sticks around enough in the playoffs. It's just a the systemic problem at this point that he just gets injured all the time. The same way I said you should have known what you were getting into with Kyle you kind of should know what you're getting into with Embiid. And I get kind of worried about like the old guy, the old guy, superstar team ups. You know, I feel like every team in the past, like 25 years out of their top two guys who wins the titles, one of them was drafted by the team. You know, it's not like you're trying to team up two very old guys with the exception of LeBron and AD. If you look at every other team for the past, like 25 years, there's always a one, two, where either the one or the two was drafted by the team. Cause you know, you have a guy like D Wade, who's like really good and like 28 years old. So he's a relatively young guy. So you can attract a relatively young free agent to go along with him. But if you're doing that with Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler is probably on the second half of his career at this point. So you're pairing an old guy with a guy who's like injured half the time and is like 27 years old. Like it just seems kind of risky to me. I prefer that we just stick with Jimmy for now. If we were to go after superstars, I mean, we'll probably talk about this later. I have guys in mind, but Joel Embiid's not one of them. Well, there's two fantastic points I want to elaborate on that I agree with you. Number one is the, the point you made about Bam with the investment. It's a fault of the max contract system and not Bam out of bio because Bam out of bio is worth the max. Like, is he better than Jason Tatum? No, but is he worth the max contract you're going to give him? there's no market to say he can't get that money. But I also agree with the point about what the player empowerment era has taught us with the nets, with some of these teams that just come out of nowhere is that continuity, even overrated at times does matter. And you need to have like an established core. Like you can't just build a contender in a second, even with our Miami heat after the big three and getting all those guys, it still took two grueling years to even get to a title. And the Lakers were the only exception, but you had AD who was a top five player and LeBron who was a top five player. That's when you have two top five players and you have that monopoly of the superstars, it's just going to happen. Like there, there does need to be a cultural investment to the team as well as a like kind of like a build from the ground up type of foundation. Yeah, definitely. I just think that right now, if you're going after a superstar, you got to go after a really young guy, some guy who will stick around for the next like, eight years in a heat uniform. I mean, I don't, how old is Embiid? I totally forgot. Is he like 28 I think, I think he's 28 or, or 29. So yeah, honestly, he's kind of young. It's just that his, his body breaks down a lot. You know, he's just gets injured all the time. Like every postseason, it's just kind of underwhelming. Not because he isn't good. I mean, he's a fantastic player so that you never really get healthy Joel Embiid. Even, even two years ago, the person leading that team was arguably Jimmy Butler in the playoffs uh, in the Sixers. So honestly, like 
I'm I'm wary with Embiid. I don't really want to invest too much in a in a guy who gets injured a lot. I mean, you see the Lakers with AD, even though it paid off just once. Like for the past two years, it's been kind of a conundrum for them. He he just gets injured all the time. Well, in an underrated argument with Embiid, could you argue he's never had like a dominant playoff series? Like maybe the Toronto series in 2019, but he hasn't had like one like holy crap, this is a generational guy. The fact that Embiid's even on the trade market proves that people see the weaknesses with both the injuries and the playoff performance. I think that matters. So my next question then for Miami, because I want to transition more toward the offseason stuff. The first big one is Tyler Hero is going to be up for this contract extension. And similar to the BAM kind of argument, Tyler Hero is going to get paid. But my question is, we saw this with Duncan Robinson with the the five for 90 that he got last offseason. What is Tyler Hero's value and what's his future in Miami looking like, if at all? Well, I mean, he's 22 years old, so he's just that going for him. Uh, still a defensive liability, and I don't know how it's going to improve in the future. I don't see him just dramatically getting better at defense at some point or another. Um, definitely a spark plug on offense, but not as much in the playoffs. I, I don't know if I can attribute that to injury as much as I can to just him not performing as well and defense is just trying harder. So a lot of guys like to argue, yeah, he was averaging so many points and just being so good on offense because he was going against second tier offenses. I think it was like Charles Barkley making that argument that when you go, when you go against bench players, it's so much easier to score. And like, yeah, that's true for the first four minutes he's in, but he's playing starter minutes. I think he like led them in minutes in the regular season. So at some point or another, he's going against the starting lineup and he often is closing for you, but it was just a real disaster, this playoffs. And the worst thing of all was his three point shooting was atrocious. He just could not make anything. He shot 23% and that's just unsustainable for the heat. And he would just get really good looks. I mean, I went to game seven and was watching him in warmups, miss like open three pointers. And I was like, Oh my God, this is not going to be pretty. And so Spo put him in for like four minutes and then took him out because he just wasn't ready, just could was not healthy enough to be out there. In regards to next season, I don't even I don't know if he's going to be here. Like, I just think that it won't be the worst thing in the world if you hang on to him. But of all the heat players thrown around in trade rumors, he's going to be number one by a mile. And the two names that are going to be thrown out there are Donovan Mitchell and Bradley Beal. Those are going to be the two names that get thrown out the most. With Tyler Hero, I don't know how much those other teams value a guy like him. I feel like we can get delusional as Heat fans a lot of the time saying, we'll throw Do- um, Tyler, Duncan, and like a first in, and then you have to give us Donovan Mitchell. Like, I'm not sure if Utah fans just laugh at that. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. So, like, honestly, I'm not sure where he's going to land next year. Odds are he's still on the team because I don't really see us just changing it up that drastically. But I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Well, the interesting thing with Tyler Hero is, like, he, his stats were better coming off the bench than when he was starting, but he also did play crucial minutes in closing lineups because he's just a good three-point shooter and shot creator. Like, remember, the biggest weakness for Miami is offensive shot creation outside of Jimmy Butler, and Hero multiple times this season was coming up clutch for that. But now Miami needs to ask itself this, and I want to ask you this. With him in the starting lineup that went five and five, and clearly his defensive liability is a problem and he's going to want as close to a max extension as possible, whether it's the four for 80 that Mike, uh, Mikhail Bridges got, or whether it's more of the Jalen Brown, like five for one twenty, whatever number that was, 
do you pay him that, that sort of money for a guy who's going to be like a six man for you? Because I, I don't think Miami wants to pay that down the road. Yeah, I wouldn't pay it. You know, I'm worried that we will just because we don't handle top end contracts very well. Uh, you might still be having flashbacks to the Hassan Whiteside contract. Well, how about, how about, how about a Dion Waiters like four for 54 after the, yeah. the heat check season? Syracuse legend made 54 million. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, we, we just find guys out of the G League who do a lot of the same things as our big-paying guys. So, like, we had Duncan at, like, $16 million. He'll be making $19 million eventually. And then we just pull Struess out of nowhere, and we just decide, okay, this guy's going to be in our starting lineup. He's going to play better defense. He's going to shoot threes better than Duncan is right now, but still not better than 2020 Duncan. But he just does a lot more for you in terms of not being able to get killed on the defensive end. So the thing is, I'm not sure if you can find another guy like Hero. You know, he's six man of the year, even though it's like one of the lesser awards out of the whole like defensive player of the year, MVP, rookie of the year. I feel like it's the award people get the least excited about. I don't know if we can get him just out of the G League. You know, I'm not sure if Gabe Vincent can be the next Tyler Hero because Tyler Hero definitely is a very exciting player who gives you a lot on offense that a lot of people otherwise wouldn't. So I wouldn't pay him a massive extension, the level of Jalen Brown, just because I think Jalen Brown's probably a lot better than Tyler Hero. You know, I don't think he warrants that kind of money. And I'm just not entirely sure if we should give it to him at this point. So one, another question I have for you is like an argument in favor of giving Hero the extension. Miami has all of the, the leverage in the world because a lot of teams don't have cap space and Miami can wait until I think October to sign the extension. So they have plenty of time, but if you're in Miami and you sign up to extension, you can have better odds to basically put heroes contract and then Duncan Robinson's contract together to get the 35, 40 million, 45 million range to get those superstar players we're looking for. But I mean, I still wouldn't pay hero that money. Anyway, I don't think there's a rush for Miami to basically tie themselves into more cap space. They're going to lose just to eventually trade the guy down the road. And he might, he might need to be worth that. Maybe teams are lower than on hero because of the defensive problems. Cause what we've also learned, especially I think this ties into Duncan Robinson's future with Miami too. two way players matter with making it, having a successful playoff run. And the one thing with Boston, we got to give credit to everybody they played in game six and seven, whether it was Grant Williams, Al Horford, uh, even Peyton Pritchard for heat check moments all of those guys were two-way players and they could play both sides of the court and they knew their role. I think with hero, there's questions about the role in terms of whether he's a starter or a bench player and about, can he deal with those defensive liabilities or does Miami need to invest even more resources into fixing that? I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to think with hero at this point. You talk about two-way guys. I think the most dangerous thing and why we shouldn't compare Tyler to Duncan is because Duncan is, just super one-dimensional like his it's three-point shooting with Duncan and that's about it and you see when you give a one-dimensional player a big money and all of a sudden that dimension just disappears which can happen with shooters there's really nothing left and all of a sudden you're you have a 16 million dollar guy just not even playing in the playoff games well I'll counter real quick it's not even like one dimension to losing it he went from 45% three-point shooting to like 38 so he's still above league average like he's still like the shooter archetype is still there compared to the rest of the league. But even then his value just declines because every time he shot, he would make it. And now he can't make anything except for like the league average rate. 
Yeah, it's just you can't you can't have that. Uh, I mean, Tyler, I see is a lot less one dimensional because he can create a lot better for you. He can score in a variety of ways. The Bam Tyler pick and roll is a bunch of fun to watch. So honestly, like, I don't know if I'm on the trade him bandwagon. Like, I don't, I just don't know at this point. Um, we're gonna have to see what we can package together and what teams take seriously. I mean, the situation in Utah might be collapsing shortly. I think you saw recently that Quinn Snyder has like not exactly verified that he'll be here next season. Nope. He'll be like, like I'm not sure what what he's gonna do. The head coaching situation might be gone. The Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert situation might be totally over at this point. And Donovan Mitchell apparently has there's rumors that he said Miami is one of his preferred destinations. And what I love about that one is that he's 25 and Bam's 25. I mean, it's just perfect. You know, you're making an investment in a guy who, if he plays the way he is right now for the next five years, is like a 26 point per game guy who does it in the playoffs. Unlike Hero, we still haven't confirmed that he can do it in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell, while he's not great at defense, is not as bad as Tyler Hero and can do pretty much all the same things on a higher stage. I mean, we've seen it before in the bubble. I know people like to dismiss the bubble, but you see Jimmy did it in the bubble and he turned out to be valid anyway. So honestly, like I'd be totally okay with that kind of trade. We're going to have to see if they actually take it. I'm sure Pat Riley's working, working behind the scenes to figure out what he can do, but I'm going to be kind of sad if we pay Tyler a really big contract this, uh, this summer. Well, and the Donovan Mitchell point's a great point because so an argument you just brought up is like, like you brought up the bubble argument, but underratedly, Donovan Mitchell, I don't think could be the best guy in a title team. He's kind of a little Devin Bookery, but if you put him with Jimmy and Bam, he can be in the role he needs to be, which is basically way better Tyler Hero. And the other thing too that you mentioned, Bam and and, uh, and Mitchell are in the same draft class, so they're both on that five-year max deal that they got when they signed the rookie extensions. So they're going to be under the same contract. So you basically are going to have Jimmy. Bam and Mitchell locked up the same amount of years minus one for Jimmy. So you're going to have this core in place for the next four years. And the one thing I love about that, and we've seen this with the NBA because of how chaotic it is with player empowerment. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think we can emphasize this enough that having like a structure built where we're putting in a lot of flexibility, but at the same time, a lot of uh, investment into a core. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And like, like you said about the Jimmy Bam Donovan Mitchell core, it's just very fluid. Whereas when Jimmy finally leaves and I'm not sure if he'll leave or take a lighter contract, I'm not sure if he'll be performing the same way he is now when he's 36 years old. It's a very natural continuation to just have Bam and a guy like Donovan Mitchell be part of the core. That team will arguably be very good for the next like eight years. And it's something that's very valuable when you look around the East and you see the Celtics with Jason Tatum at 24 and Giannis, who's like 26, and you look at both those teams and you're just like, they're not going away for the next seven years. Like, they're just going to be good forever. So the heat window is going to be extended drastically. You get a guy the same age as Bam, who's a pretty consistent all-star. And did he make All-NBA this year? Generally no, he, an all he, NBA missed, he, he missed too many games, but he would have been – I think he would have been uh, – he would have been fourth team center if there was a fourth team, let's say. <laughs> it just – it extends the window – and in a very good way, you know, people are saying Donovan Mitchell's stock 
would you say it's the lowest it's been in the past like three years? Well, I mean, the fact that he went from untradeable in 2020 to, wow, the jazz system might blow itself up internally. Let's put him on the market. Like that, that's pretty drastic for a guy that I think people thought was an all NBA player. And what we know too, is like, I always call it the monopoly on superstars or star players. Like the more you get, it's not just the more you get, but the less other teams have. So taking Mitchell from the West and putting him out East and you've got Jimmy, who's a top 10 guy right now, Bam, who at his best is top 20, 2025 and Mitchell, who I'd argue is top 15, 20, you have now three of the top 15 to 20 ish players in the league. I think that's a pretty good core there. Even if Jimmy ages out, but a question I have for you that I think is important is I don't think they can trade Kyle Lowry because Utah wouldn't take that back. Would there be a case of too many cooks in the kitchen if you had Lowry, Mitchell, Jimmy, and Bam all on the same team sharing the rock? Because it does give me a little bit of like kind of like that too many old guys on the team thing. Not that they're old, but, you know, you're going to have a 33-year-old Jimmy in, his, in the tail end of his prime. Lowry's going to still want the ball on huge money. Bam's going to need the ball to get better. And then you have Mitchell now thrown in there, who's a 28-per-game scorer. Well, first off, I'd argue, what is Lowry cooking? What's he cooking? I got <laughs> a know. lot of breaks. First off, <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing. Um, you know, he, he's a point guard. He's got to make it work if that if that situation arises. It's not like Kyle Lowry is occupying a lot of your scoring. You know, he's good. He can evolve to accommodate the situation. Jimmy, I'll say, I I think that Jimmy would still be. I'm not sure what happened to Jimmy because honestly, like as the primary guy, he just put together one of the best playoffs we've seen in a heat uniform. He just led the league in like a bunch of advanced metrics, like win shares and win shares for 48. He was second in PER behind Jokic and in front of Giannis and Luca. Like that's some really good company. So honestly, like, sure. I'm worried that Donovan Mitchell would take away a bit of the load but at the same time I'm happy that Donovan Mitchell would take away a bit of the load you know that's exactly what Jimmy's problem was he had to do everything I was at game seven and there was a point where I was watching with my dad and he goes I think they just got to let Jimmy take every single shot and I was like you know what we kind of do because because we were getting destroyed the whole game he was the guy who was keeping us in along with Bam and just I just that guy was incredible this playoff so honestly like Jimmy still doesn't need the ball in his hands to be great. It's just that's what the team demanded of him. He just does whatever the team demands of you. You saw in the Sixers season with Jimmy, that team, besides the Warriors, like let's just exclude the Warriors because like they had Katie Hurt. Katie Hurt. The Sixers might have been the second best team in the league that season, and they got knocked out on a very fluky Kawhi shot. And Jimmy had to play – with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris, you know, a lot of guys involved in the starting lineup. And just, he had to fit his role, and he did it great, and he just got knocked down on a pretty fluky shot, if you ask me. So honestly, I'm not worried about Jimmy sharing a load with someone in in a way that might be exactly what he needs. And then with Bam, you know, it gets me scared because, like, I was noticing a few Bam-Rudy Gobert comparisons in the playoffs, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to see this. This is not what I need. And just, like, I'm worried, sure, that maybe he won't develop on offense if Donovan Mitchell shows up. But honestly, like, it's all about the window. And the window has to grow because the Celtics and Bucks window is currently seven years with no end in sight. And we kind of have to fit the same thing as the Heat. Well, and a good point you bring up is, like, 
if you have, I mean, a point that I think makes sense is that if you have Donovan Mitchell in there, less responsibility for Jimmy Butler in both the regular season and the playoffs extends his career out. Maybe he has better, he could be at the same level next season if he had, he's just more healthy. And also I think Lowry, if we're going to play the, he'll age into his late thirties and be the John Stockton, Chris Paul, 20 minutes a game guy. He'll clearly be more unselfish and more of a, I know what role I'm supposed to be. So one question I have in terms of the starting lineup for next year, and then moving on to some like superstar talk. uh, What's the deal with PJ Tucker? Because I think Miami, as, as much as they want to bring him back, he has a player option. I think Miami does need an upgrade at the four because I think PJ relying on him to be 38 next season or 37 and still be good like he was this year. I do think that's a bit fluky, especially in the regular season. Was it fluky or is he just awesome? That's what I have to ask. I mean, like Jimmy, um, PJ Tucker, I had so much respect for him in the playoffs this year. He was legitimately just super awesome to watch. The defensive effort he shows is amazing. He's not necessarily a three-point shooter besides baseline threes, but that's pretty valuable considering that he hits them at such a high rate. And just, I feel like the effort that P.J. Tucker puts forth on a nightly basis is just probably worth it to the point that we can hold on to him for next year. I think his contract is like, it's, he's got one more year, right? We pay him for like one more year and then he's just off. He's unrestricted at that point. He's, he's at seven, I think he's at six and a half or seven and a half million, but it's a player option. So he can either accept that and come back on that money, or we can re-sign him to a new contract, or he could decline it and leave. So like there's, there's a couple avenues here and him leaving would suck. Honestly, he was like one of the few bright spots of the Eastern conference finals. So I I'm perfectly fine with hanging on to him for just one more year. Looking down the road, we might need a, another power forward, but who knows, you know, maybe it'll be Caleb Martin at that point. You know, Max Schuess and Gabe Vincent kind of came out of nowhere, too. So another another lone star from this season. Can we talk about what your thoughts were on Victor Oladipo having like this little mini renaissance? Because I think he's going to have a market this offseason. I think Miami should bring him back easily because of what he did this postseason. Yeah, I definitely think that Oladipo, if we run it back with the same roster, our hope is pretty much pinned on two guys and to me that would be bam improving and victor oladipo becoming like a similar guy to what he was a few years back like if pacers victor oladipo comes back the heat will could go to the finals next year and win it because that guy was an all-star just kind of undisputed averaging like over 20 points a game and just providing a lot of a lot to indiana's offense but in terms of this playoffs his defense was legitimately incredible. There was nothing I enjoyed more in that Eastern Conference Finals than Victor Oladipo poking the ball out of Jalen Brown's hand every single time. That was so fun. and I just loved it so much. And I just think that Victor Oladipo showed that he was super valuable to this team. And if we can bring him back and if he can just work on his jump shot in the offseason, I'm very excited to see what he can do next year. So he's one of my main hopes if we run it back with this roster. Um, I don't know if we can pay him, though, because, like, honestly, if we're thinking about the guys we've talked about previously and, like, Oladipo was making $2 million this year, he's arguably going to make a lot more next year. I mean, I'm not sure what other teams are going to offer him, but I have to imagine a team like the Knicks might want to walk in and offer an absurd contract or something. But 
honestly, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. I'd love to pay him and bring him back, but it honestly depends on the cap situation. A couple more questions about Miami's offseason before we wrap up. Uh, the first one is, what are the team needs heading into next season that you think Miami should upgrade on? Well, I think that's a definite upgrade is the Duncan Robinson piece. I mean, would you say that he just has to get traded at some point, at least before the trade deadline next season? Like, I'm not, I don't know what we're going to do with him. We, he literally was not playing in like full on playoff series. The only reason he came in is because we had Tyler Hero injured. And just, it got to the point where Spo was literally like, we're going to play Jimmy 48 minutes in game seven rather than have Duncan play in the second half. So like, honestly, like, what are we going to do with that? Like, we just need, we can't have that contract on the books if we're not going to play him. And there's always going to be one team who's going to look at it and be like, we need a three-point shooter. And we're like, great, here's Duncan Robinson. What can we have instead? So I guess the need is more like we need to get rid of this contract. You know, it's not like we need to bring something on. It's more like addition by subtraction at this point. I think with Duncan Robinson as the case study, we have seen this postseason the value of the 82-game versus 16-game debate. And what we mean by that is, like, how do you balance getting guys who can play in the regular season, which Duncan Robinson is so valuable to Miami. But then we saw in 2021 as well as this postseason that when it comes to winning four playoff series, he couldn't even make it in the Philly series, more so than the Boston series. I think Miami's going to have to reflect on that value moving forward. So we talked about Donovan Mitchell. Are there any other superstar names that are realistic out there for Miami to get? And it probably will involve at least trading Tyler Hero and some other stuff. Honestly, you're going to hear some names this season. Some people said Embiid. I don't think it's realistic because I don't think he'll request that of Philly, at least this year. I think he's still got one more year of seeing how they do. Another name mentioned that's going to be hysterical is Kyrie because <laughs> the Brooklyn right. situation is devolving rapidly. And sure, I would love 2016 Kyrie in the playoffs, but I don't know if that guy is ever going to return because he just seems to find every reason – known to mankind and not play basketball. So I don't, I am not a fan. I don't want to pick up Kyrie, even though he would just be like a pure free agent. I think he wouldn't even be like, I mean, the way the heat cap works, it'd have to be something. We have to trade something in order to get Kyrie, but no, I, I prefer not to. People are going to mention Zach Levine as well. I don't know much about Zach Levine. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I did not follow Bulls basketball that much this year. You know, I'll save that more for the national media. And then the last guy will be Bradley Beal, who's been sort of on the Heat's radar for a few years at this point. But I kind of want Donovan Mitchell because he's the most proven in the playoffs at this point. And no matter what you think of the Jazz, he's led the Jazz to like very high-seeded finishes in the West for multiple seasons at this point. So Donovan Mitchell's the guy I want. I wouldn't say no to Bradley Beal, but I think the eye should be on Utah at this point to see what they do. So one conflict I'm having with this offseason for Miami, and it's a question I want to ask you and kind of one of the final ones, is Miami's title window closed? And what I mean by that is, like, was this their best chance to win with the group they have now with Butler in his, like, sort of prime, Bam and Abayo's young, they got Lowry for a reason. Given how good Boston and, and, and uh and the Celtics will be next year. I assume at least Brooklyn and Philly in theory are going to run it back. Was this Miami's best chance to win the title, or is there still hope for 
at least next season to still have some sort of title run? I said at the beginning of this year that this was a two-year window. And then I said that if this didn't work out in two years, the next three were going to be very agonizing. So I think it's still open if you run it back with this roster. To me, I said earlier the hope is pinned on Oladipo and Bam, and I stand by that. I think that if those two guys improve, this team could win the finals next year. The issue is, is that you didn't see the Bucs in the playoffs this year. You saw the Bucs without Chris Middleton. So if Middleton plays, there's probably another team coming out of these this year. So the Celtics are good and all, but I still think the eyes are on Milwaukee next year. If you had to ask me who my finals pick is next year, I think Milwaukee's going back. But I think that the Heat, if Oladipo improves, and if Bam can just perform better in the playoffs, and, like, this isn't a crazy thing to think. You know, Oladipo's coming off injury, so he still has a lot of runway to work with. And then Bam is just a young guy who's still aging into his role. So – it's not like my hope is pinned on Jimmy. I still believe Jimmy can do another year of what he just did. I guess my one thing is the Kyle Lowry thing. Like I have no idea how he'll play next year, but I think he can be just good enough that he can make it to the finals again next year. So I think the window is open for one more year. If you get Mitchell, I feel like it's open for a lot longer than that, but it can be pretty scary at this point for the heat, just looking at the bucks and the Celtics. However, I definitely think we still have another shot next year we saw how close we got this year we were shot away well and I think a case for Miami and there's two cases that number one if you look at the devolving Philly and Brooklyn situations where it's definitely odd on both ends there there could be a world in which Miami's the third best team next year and I also look at the ceiling of the eastern the eastern conference where like if you had to rank the teams in no order we assume that any of Boston Milwaukee Brooklyn Philly and Miami are in that like that top conversation the next team after that is like Chicago, maybe Atlanta with a bounce back season. Like there's no up and coming Eastern conference team that screams, we're going to win 50 games and make it to the second round. So at least if you're in Miami, the future of the East still looks like it's the same five teams as it was this year. I think you have to feel pretty good about Miami, at least extending that window that you just mentioned. Yeah. The window is still open. Don't lose hope yet. Heat fans. This team will find a way. I don't think we're going to the Josh Richardson, Hassan Whiteside years at this point. I think we are still in some of the best years you'll see of Miami Heat basketball, led by one of the three best players you've ever seen in a Heat uniform, probably. So I definitely think we still have a shot next year. Uh, one final question. If you had to make a prediction for Miami's offseason uh, as we're approaching the draft and free agency, what's the, what's the big prediction that you think Miami will – something that will happen or will not happen, but up to you. Something that will happen. Okay, well, I'm just going to cheat and say that this will happen at least to the trade deadline. So I will include this this summer and up to the trade deadline next season is that Duncan Robinson will not be in a Heat uniform at this time in uh, 2023. Well, it'll be a fascinating offseason for the Heat, and there's definitely a lot of resentment after that Game 7 loss. But the future, there is still a future out there for Heat fans and, of course, for the team. Matthew, great Heat episode as always. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me.